Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Some of you have recently read the book of Ruth. If you've been following your map journal reading, and it's a quaint book on the surface, but there's much more beneath the surface that we're going to seek to mine today with the help of the Holy Spirit. Kay O'Bara, in January of 1970, had a difficulty in her life that lasted until the end of her daughter's life. Her daughter, Edwarda, was a diabetic, and at the age of 16, she fell into a coma. Her last words to her mother were, Mommy, please don't leave me, will you? And so in answer to that request, the mother said yes, and then for 30 years, she sat and stood by the side of her daughter. And experts have indicated that people have this kind of condition who go into a comatose state. It's rare that they live beyond 15 years. This young lady, Edwarda, lived 30 years. During that time, Kay herself had other difficulties enter into her life. Adding insult to injury, one of her younger children got arrested for drug dealing and ended up in prison for a while. And Kay herself, 12 years into this ordeal, suffered a heart attack, but she continued to be steadfast. When she was interviewed, this is what she said. She said, pity kills people. Sometimes it's self-pity, and other times it is the pity of other people. Certainly, we who know Jesus Christ above all people should have compassion on people like Kay and her daughter, daughter Edwarda. And we should seek to minister to them gently, not giving them any kind of advice, just caring for them, showing in a practical way the love of Jesus Christ for them. This is an extreme case of a mother. It wouldn't necessarily have to be a mother. It could be a father. It could be someone who is single without children. It could intersect the life of anyone along the spectrum of that individual life. So we're not limiting what we're considering today to mothers. It just so happens that's a great illustration, isn't it? I should have added that the research that indicated that most people in the situation that Edwarda Obera found herself, they don't only live for 15 years, but if they live beyond 15 years, the extraordinary care that they receive invariably comes from their mothers. Aren't you glad for mothers and the sensitivity they have to us and have had to us? Well, you've got perhaps some sort of shattered dream. We don't know exactly what Kay's dream was, 
but probably most of us in this room live with some big disappointment in our lives. And what we're gonna to learn today is how to deal with such, such shattering of dreams. Ruth, who bears, this book bears her name, is the featured person, but there's another person who runs a close second. That's her mother-in-law, Naomi. So let's read. And please pay attention to the reading, not for the detail now. I'm going to try to give detail to it as I teach through this passage of Scripture. But put yourself inside this story. Verse 1 of the book of Ruth. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Kilian also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, 
she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This passage gives us a glimpse of a life that was, to begin with, evidently a pleasant life. I'm speaking of the life of Naomi. But circumstances, some would say, conspired to turn that pleasant life into a bitter pill to swallow. You read the story. We read it together, and we understand it. This woman, Naomi, was a woman of influence. You can see it in the fact that these two daughters-in-law wanted to go with her. And they did not have simply a sentimental attachment to her. They had a heart attachment to her. She had treated them evidently very well. They cared for her. And they quite frankly preferred her to their mothers who had given them birth. She was a person of influence, to say the least. Also, we saw when she finally came back after 10 years' absence to the city, the scripture says that the city was astir. This word suggests there was a great deal of positive energy that came with the recognition that Naomi had returned. That would have indicated that she had had influence among the people in the city, especially the female population, before she and Elimelech made their sojourn into the neighboring land of Moab. She was a woman of influence who became a bitter woman because of the way in which she processed, and who could blame her really from our perspective, the way she had processed loss in her life. And she was a woman, as we see here in this passage of scripture in the first five verses, who along with her husband Elimelech ran away from a big problem in their town of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. It was in Judah, and when you put Judah, which means praise. Bethlehem means house of bread, and Ephratah means fruitful. The idea is they ran away from what had long been a place of fruitfulness in various ways, and a place consequently where God was praised because of the generosity which God had demonstrated to that city. But a famine came, and they ran away. What do we do? when we face problems that are big. Hers was big along with her husband, Elimelech. We don't know what kind of conversation they had. It's implied in verse 21, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty, that she may have had a big part to play in persuading her husband to make this move. We don't have any dialogue from him because, of course, he died 
in the land of Moab, along with their two sons, after their sons had married. Why would she possibly, and Elimelech, why would they have possibly run away? Well, I'm going to enter this on the positive side and then get to the negative answer. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible tells us that we who know Jesus Christ are to live by faith and not by sight. And we also know from the book of Romans that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. How is faith developed in anyone's life? It's developed by exposure to the truth of God's Word. We who know Jesus Christ have put our faith in Him, and we long to be with Him. We long, consequently, to please Him, because in that same section in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul goes on to say, we make it our goal to please Him. Stop and think about your life for a moment. Think about the goals of your life. Is the goal to please the Lord at the top of the list? Well, if it isn't, it should be. Because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. We walk by faith. That's not walking blindly. It's walking based upon the person of God himself. He is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should repent. Has he spoken and will he not do it? Has he promised and will he not fulfill it? Our Bible is filled with promises from God. They stand on the foundation of his character. He is a God who cannot lie. And he calls us to trust in what he has to say. We have a trustworthy document we hold in our hands when we open the Bible. And it's one that has proven itself over and over and over again. We're to live by faith and not by sight. We're to order our lives according to what we know of God's will for our lives in the Bible. Now, what does that have to do with Naomi and Elimelech? Here's what it has to do. They had access to the law of Moses. We think it would be possible that they could read. And if they hadn't the capacity to read, they would undoubtedly have heard scribes or people who were schooled in the Torah and the language of what we call the Old Testament would have read it. They would have known from the book of Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, that famine was an indication of God's disciplinary action because of rebellion against God. If you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, what you know is it's largely a book describing the people of God, instructed by God, following God, then wandering away from God, then going more than just on a casual sojourn, but really going away from God. And what does God do? He is a Father who loves us. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, for instance, God speaks about how those whom I love, I discipline, 12.6 of Hebrews. And the word discipline is the same word that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians when he talks about the importance of parents disciplining their children. 
It's a word which has to do with child training. We who know God know Him as our Father. We know Him through Jesus Christ. But as many as received Christ, to those He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of the will of God. God is our Father. And when we misbehave, get out of line, quit trusting Him as we ought, what does He do? Because He loves us, He disciplines us, afflicts us, whatever word you want to use. Several words are used in the Bible to describe it. And many times, because we don't really know God, we don't really know what the Scriptures tell us about God, we don't have eyes to see what lies behind difficulty in our lives, Oftentimes, we have a negative reaction against God. We blame God for not caring about us, and we miss the whole point of what God's about. The best response, and I was not in the situation that this couple found themselves in, but there were plenty of other people who didn't leave Bethlehem, right? There were many, these who welcomed her back. They were so excited to see her return, but they had left. What we know is that God was not the focal point of their lives when they left. They, instead of walking by faith, decided to walk by sight. They had a message from Moab. What do you know about Moab? Many of you know the person after which that region is named. He was one of two children of Lot. You may recall when Lot fled the city with his wife, two daughters, how the wife looked back against the advice of the angel of the Lord, and she turned into a pillar of salt. The Bible says, Jesus, you know what the shortest verse in the Bible is, right? Most of you, it's your life verse. Jesus wept because it's so short. <laughs> but the second shortest is, remember Lot's wife. Beware. Take a lesson from her. The Bible says, Jesus says, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. We can only have now, and looking ahead, we learn from our past the things that we have learned about the Lord through our mistakes as well as our obedience. But suffice it to say, here is this couple, and they understood what the Word of God said as to why, or at least they probably did. It was an act of discipline on the part of God, of them. But they heard about Moab. Moab and Ammon were the sons born of an incestuous, actually two incestuous encounters, Lot got drunk after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed and his daughters both had intercourse with him and conceived children. And by the way, they are the ones who instituted that with their dad. So the Bible says in the book, again, of Deuteronomy, in the 23rd chapter, in the third verse, the Bible says, there shall not be any Moabite, that would be a descendant of Moab, in the assembly of the Lord even to the 10th generation. So they knew they were going into a land that was filled with foreign gods and the one true God, Yahweh, Jehovah God, was not worshiped there, but 
Nevertheless, they went for it because they heard it was a land of plenty. Now, interestingly, if you looked at a map of the region and you were to locate Bethlehem and also Moab, it was not an extremely long journey. In fact, it was only about 50 miles. Now, that would have been a tough journey in that day because of the form of transportation which was available, but nevertheless, they went there. Here's something that we need to ask ourselves today. Are we living by faith today or by sight? Is there some situation in your life that you have run away from, like this family ran away from? Well, rather than run away, this family should have come to God, recognizing the hand of discipline in their lives, and squared things and repented and obeyed the Lord. What does the scripture tell us about God's promise to bless us? Jesus says one thing. I'm going to give two statements from scripture. I'm going to start with Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Our typical response sometimes when we're having trouble is to take matters into our own hands because God's not acting quickly enough for us. And then the apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians chapter 4, I have learned the secret of being content in each and every situation. I've learned what it is to be well fed. I've learned what it is to be hungry. I've learned it is, what it is to be a man who's lived in poverty. And I've also learned what it is to live in riches. So he'd learned the secret of all those things. And he says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we sit on our hands and do nothing? No, it doesn't mean that. You don't work, you don't eat. It's what Paul said in another one of his letters in the New Testament. It's not that, but we depend on the Lord. Every day we depend on the Lord for our, the necessities of our lives. And what does he promise us? If we seek first his kingdom, not our own kingdom, not our own fiefdom, if we seek first him and his righteousness, the necessities of life will be ours. Many of us can attest to that, can't we? Having lived decades, we've seen the Lord supply in miraculous ways along the way when we thought we were down to our last dollar. Amazingly, at times, he has swept in and promised himself and proven himself to be faithful to us. Why did they go away from this problem? Well, they were living by sight, not by faith. And they really ignored the real source of the problem, and we do too. You know what the real source of our problem is when we run away from difficulty? Our hearts. That's what it is. It's our own selfishness. We can't run away from our hearts. There has to be something that changes in our hearts. Let me put it another way and more precisely. We have to have a changed heart not just a change of heart, 
We need a changed heart. This is what happens when a person comes to know Jesus Christ. God says in his word, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. When we think about this story, they left, they took their problems with them. And as I've said, it's true of us. When we run away, we take our problems with us. Lest I forget it, I'm going to go ahead and make this statement. It was given to me by my mentor 50 years ago. And he said to me, Mike, when you run away from problems, you will always inherit a bigger set of problems. You know I've found that to be true in my life. I've run away from the Lord on more than one occasion. I've tried to stiff arm the Lord in the sense of saying, wait a minute, Lord, wait a minute. I want you in my life, but I want you really controlling the details of my life. And I don't want to go into all those things, but it's never turned out well, never. There were decisions I made as a young person that I've been forgiven of. They were sinful decisions. And since then, I have been forgiven over and over and over again for walking by sight and not by faith, walking by feelings and not by faith. But even when we repent of those sins and genuinely ask forgiveness, God doesn't hold those against us, but there's a principle at work in the universe. Whatsoever man sows, that also shall he reap. And so the residue and the results of that sometimes continue in our lives. Not in the sense of crippling us, but pointing us back to the fact that the reason our dreams have been shattered is because we did not walk by faith. We walked by our own initiative in our own way of thinking. Now let me go on and say this about that. I don't want to leave you on a negative note on this. That's important to understand, however. But what I have discovered is, in Psalm 103, the Bible says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of His benefits. And then he lists several benefits. And one he does, he redeems your life from the pit. And I've learned what that means by studying it, and I've experienced it in my life. What does it mean to redeem your life from the pit? It seems to correspond with the first blessing in that list, which says he pardons all your iniquities. Thank God for that. But those two things are different. Pardons all your iniquities is clear. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us, there is therefore now no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus because Jesus took the punishment for us. God's forgotten all that. We'll never be held accountable for that in the sense that we will never be punished for it. Never. We need to understand that in our lives. But let's think about things that happen when you go forward. And I can think of things that have happened that were a result of my sin that long-term have turned into good. Now listen carefully. God says that he causes all things to work together for good, even when we mess up and we repent. And we're going to see in this story 
it turns out well, doesn't it? The book of Ruth, you know the book, it turns out really well for us. Something went wrong. Elimelech and Ruth left, and probably they could have stayed. I'm not their judge. I probably would have done the same thing. But what we do know is God turns those things into things that honor Him, and they even work out well for us in the long run. Because we live by grace, we sang the song today about the importance of grace. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But through Him, we can do all things. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We depend upon the Lord wholly and completely. But when you run from a difficult situation, instead of trusting the Lord in that situation, you're going to inherit a bigger set of problems. So quit running. Run to Him, not away from Him. Here's the second thing that this passage teaches us. Naomi tried to cover up her problem of disobedience, assuming this interpretation is correct. Why do I say this? Well, let's look at verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. She had a surge of homesickness and maybe a sense of getting back closer to the place of her physical birth, maybe her spiritual nurturing, and it stirred in her heart. I would go so far to say as the Holy Spirit was stirring in her to move her back. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. They were attached to her, were they not? They were attached to her because in the case of Orpah, she was married to the first son, Malon. In the case of Ruth, to the second son, Kilion. They had both died, as well as the father of the boys who had died. And then in verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go for I'm too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. She was trying to reason with them. They lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Here's what I think she was doing. As she was moving back, she knew what kind of opposition she might meet from her hometown, bringing back a Moabitess or two Moabitesses who had been married to her sons. And it was the outcome of her running away from a difficult situation. And she was trying to cover it up. 
Well, we know Orpah listened, and she went back to her mother's house to be a daughter to that mother and also to go back and worship the false gods there. Evidently, there was still some mixture of worshiping maybe Jehovah God and also the false gods of the Moabites. But Ruth was different, wasn't she? Amazing. To credit Naomi in this matter of going back, on a positive note, she made the right decision to return to the place of her initial rebellion against God. We need to do that in our own hearts. Not go back to a geographical place necessarily, but go back in our lives if we haven't dealt with things like this. Remember where this rebellion began and then get it right with the Lord. Forget about it because God has forgotten about it and go forward with your life. You can't live in the quagmire of the past because God isn't there. He's not the God of the past. He's the God of the present and the future. We have to understand that. Victorious Christian living is a series of new beginnings. I can't tell you how many it wears me out to try to think about it. How many times I've started again. I've been a child of God for over 60 years, really known the Lord. I know that but I can't get it right, it seems. You ever feel like that? Well, God's not finished with me yet. He's still wearing me out, and that's the term we use in the South to get a spanking, you know. I mean, I can remember my mother saying to me, I'm gonna wear you out, Michael. When she used the whole name, I knew I was in trouble. And she made good on her promise, by the way, and I never resented a spanking I got from my mother or my father. She was the more heavy-handed of the two because Daddy was gone on the road a lot as a truck driver, and he was a good guy, and Mother was the good gal because she loved me, you know? It's awesome. But my point is, look, never tire of going before the Lord, laying it before God, saying, Lord, I am sorry. I don't know why in the world I've done that again, whatever that is. But I have, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being patient. But Lord, would you take this away from me? You ever said that? Take this thought process, take these words, take these actions away from me. This is a picture of the normal Christian life in the sense that we have to move closer to the Lord, always come back to the Lord. When I was a young parent, I can remember exercising corporal punishment to my children occasionally when they needed it, and they would come back to me wanting reassurance. We're children of God. We need to go back to Him. He will reassure us He'll let us know, yes, you were wrong, Mike. Put your name in there. You were wrong, son. You were wrong, daughter. But I love you, and I disciplined you because I love you. Restoration comes when we return to the place where we left the Lord. The negative part of her covering up her problem of disobedience, or trying to at least, 
Naomi tried to do it, as we see in the effort to send both the women back. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, it's a great promise to us. It says, the person who confesses his sin receives the mercy of God. But the person who tries to cover it cannot flourish. We want to flourish. Do you want to flourish spiritually? Certainly you do. I do too. And the way is to be found in our trusting in the Lord and coming before Him. Third thing we see about this woman, Naomi, it's not a pretty picture. She became bitter. Let's look at verse 19. And this is the outcome of a life that is in rebellion against God and then doesn't really believe what God says about the source of their trouble. Look at verse 19. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about that when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Evidently, her appearance had changed. Ten years had been hard on her. Ten years in Moab, in far country, hard on anybody. And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. What's her name mean? Pleasant, that's what it means. Call me Mara. You know what Mara means? Bitter. That's what it means. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She was hacked off at God. There's more than one person I would imagine who is hacked off at God here. Because God hasn't come through for you like you expected him to. God has let you down. You feel more like a stepchild of God than a true child of God because of the ill treatment or lack of treatment at all from him. Please understand, Alan kind of helped me with a message today when he made reference to some verses in the book of Psalm 119, which were very enlightening to me probably 25 years ago or 30 when I was struggling with some things in my life, struggling with whether the Lord really cared about me. I'm embarrassed to even say that. I knew better. But I got some closure, at least the beginning of closure, when I read in Psalm 119 where the Bible says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. I said, okay, Lord. I understand why I have affliction. I know, understand why I have trouble. Because now, if I respond properly, I will keep your word. And that will please you. It will honor you. It will glorify you. And I'm here for that purpose. I make it my aim to please you, Lord. I want to walk by faith, not by sight. Your word. It was good for me that I was afflicted. I would not go astray. And another place in that text, and it says, and this blew me away when it occurred to me. It was something I had read before, but it had not registered in your faithfulness, you have afflicted me. And that simply means he disciplines those whom he loves. He cares enough about us to do that. And then in Psalm 119.92, going forward in that great psalm, he says, the psalmist says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Tore it off basic meaning of the word 
is teaching. It would not simply be relegated only to the writings of Moses, but it would be any teaching. Your teaching, if it had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. There are people in this room who are perishing in your affliction because you have not recognized that the Lord is using it in your life to discipline you. Now let me stop a moment and take note of this. The Bible talks about Jesus himself being afflicted by God the Father. For a different reason, of course. He was afflicted in order that he could secure our salvation. But please understand that bitterness follows a failure to understand all facets of the love of God. Go back to your old life is what our flesh says to us. Go back to your old life. It was easier, and in some ways it is easier to go back to the old life because we're not hounded by the devil like we are when we're seeking to follow the Lord. I think about Job, and just one statement about Job. We know his story. It doesn't need to be rehearsed. It says about Job saying that Job asked the question, what does it profit a man to take delight in the Lord? Poor guy, beaten up badly. What does it profit a man to delight himself in the Lord? That's a good question. It was the wrong question. Later, Job concluded after listening to God, after God had given him his day in court, this is what he said, before now, until now, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Too many people who claim to know Christ and who do know Christ probably think that God owes them something. God doesn't owe you anything, nothing. He doesn't owe us anything. He has given us everything because he's given us himself. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, but it's all on his initiative. We need to understand this. If we're not careful when we have trouble, we'll become very bitter. In Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to read it, verse 15. Listen to what it says in warning against becoming bitter toward God. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Grace of God's so important that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. If we're not careful when we're having a hard time and it doesn't seem to have an end, we will become bitter. And you know who we're bitter against? It's against people, of course, but inevitably it has God as its target. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers when he finally revealed his identity to them? And they were all shook up because he had the power and they thought he's gonna kill us. What he said, through tears, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It goes back to what I said earlier. 
that God amazingly takes stuff that's hard and difficult, unbearable at times, and he uses it to shape us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He uses it. Please learn that. Well, when we face difficulties, we can try to cover it up like Naomi. We can give up and return to our sinful life like Orpah did. Or we can step up like Ruth. What a woman. What a mother. By the way, Naomi was a good mother too. She just had a lapse for about 10 years. But her shattered dream was put together in a more beautiful way, wasn't it? Look over to the last part of the book of Ruth. The scripture talks, let's look at verse 13 of chapter 4. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. It's a great story, love story. He went into her. He was an older guy. God blessed them with a child. The Lord opened the womb of the woman. And then verse 14, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap. Oh, she loved that child, didn't she? Became his nurse. Can you imagine, grandmothers, the joy that came to her? And the neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And who is the son of David? Jesus Christ. You see how we connect to this story? You see how God takes things that we would consider bad and turning them into good things? Do you think Naomi was set free when the Lord did that in her life? Of course she was set free. The Bible says in Psalm 73, 25, Whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing I desire on earth besides you. Can you say that last part? I don't have any trouble saying the first part. Whom do I have in heaven but you? What about you? What do you desire most in your life? Do you desire the Lord more than anything else? Well, most of us would say not all the time. That's the goal. We want to move every day closer to being able to say that with integrity. We have moments, we have periods of time when that is the case. But it's still something we aim for. In the book of Psalms 37, I'd like to ask you to turn to Psalm 37. And... Here is a prescription. If you want something practical, I mean, I've given you something practical. Believe what God says about himself and believe what he says about the trouble that is in your life and respond accordingly by doing what this passage tells us to do. You want some steps? Here they are. Verse 3, Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. 
we could stop right there. You say, why not, Mike? It's almost time. But we're going to go on and look at a few more of these here. <clears throat> Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. What if Elimelech and his wife Naomi had done that? Trouble is the arena for the development of faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. When we delight in the Lord above all other persons, the result is He puts the right desires in our heart. That's what that means. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. The word literally means roll off. Roll off your life is what this is saying. Roll the whole deal off on the Lord. That's where it belongs. Psalm 55, 22 says that we are to be people who give our lives in that sense to the Lord. I want you to see this. If you'll turn to Psalm 55, 22. It's mind-blowing. It says, cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. That's a great promise, isn't it? Do you know what the word, just the words your burden translate? Cast what He has given you upon Him. The Lord gives us these burdens so that we can learn to trust Him more. Committing it to the Lord, rolling it off. Begin to think like that when something irritates you or is negative coming in your life. Say, okay, Lord, here I go again. I'm rolling it off on you. I'm casting what you're giving me upon you. Verse 5, trust also in Him and He will do it. Be careless then. Go for it really is the idea in the phrase trust also in Him and He will do it. What will He do? He'll either shut the door and redirect you and me or He will open it wide when it doesn't appear there's any way it could be opened. Verse 6, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. Wow, great promise, isn't it? And your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. The word rest means be still. Reminds me of Psalm 4610, be still and know that I'm one. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for Him. And by the way, the word patiently was a word which was used in the Bible to describe a woman in childbirth. That's not really resting in my mind. It's awful to think about for you dear women who've given birth the difficulty of bearing a child. It's awesome to think about that. And then finally, I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. Verses 1 through 3. This is a Messianic psalm. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. That word seems to come up a lot in the Bible, doesn't it? He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. This was the text that Jesus found in the lectionary when he did his first public ministry in his hometown in the synagogue of Nazareth. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. 
Jesus is the great comforter. Now look at what follows. To grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is our heritage as believers in Jesus. As we seek to delight ourselves in him, ask him, Lord, show us yourself so we can really know ourselves and so that we can have hope. Many people try to deaden their pain, and I can understand why it's so great, by hobbies, distractions, sometimes drugs, alcohol, things that are very enjoyable for the moment, but you end up at the same place every time once that enjoyment runs out. You got to go back and back and back. We were created for addiction to the one true God. I don't like to use that word in reference to God, but that's basically the idea. The name that Naomi invokes of God in the first chapter is Shaddai, which means many-breasted one, actually. That's what it means. So our God wants us to be men and women who are attached to him in dependence like a nursing child is to his or her mother. That kind of dependence upon the Lord. And the result is that when we have shattered dreams, we've had them before, we're probably going to have some more, realize that they can be the prelude to real joy in our lives. If we understand why and we don't buck the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. We thank you for the story of Naomi and Ruth, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, and David, and in effect, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were in the loins of Boaz. We just praise you that you have come to set us free. Thank you for this reaffirmation. Help us, Lord, to seek you with a whole heart while you may be found. Amen. God bless you.